What's up, everybody? This is the Ex Nihilo podcast. My name is Eddie, and you've stumbled upon the gluttony episode. Now, gluttony, big idea, big, scary word, maybe a word we don't even barely use in America anymore, or at least in the Western world. And so you might be wondering, why the heck are we talking about this, right? Well, I would say that uh, as a pastor, you know, I've taken the tall task of trying to preach on something like this before. And you know, preaching on gluttony is uh, kind of an odd thing. Most people don't even think about gluttony. Uh, most people don't even consider it a, a sin, you know, when you think about it, especially in the Western world. So I've, I've done that, and I've posted some content to the Ex Nihilo's YouTube channel over the last few years. And what I've found is that that content around gluttony is the most consumed on my channel, widely. I don't, I don't understand necessarily why, but it's a big deal to people. People want to know more about gluttony. I've posted a sermon or two on the channel people are like what the heck and they're interested in it some people feel like maybe they've succumbed to it so i thought i'm gonna do a, a whole podcast on it exclusively and I, I think it's really interesting to juxtapose what we think gluttony is to what it actually is and that's what we're going to do today so uh the big the first big thing i want to tackle is this this uh this funny slash disgusting slash oddly satisfying, oddly disgusting, oddly horrifying concept called mukbang or mukbang. Now, mukbang, if you know what it is, if you've ever heard of it, I'm going to put some images on the screen here in a second, is a live online broadcast in which the host, usually someone like me, would eat a large amount of food while interacting with my audience probably on a live stream. So, for instance, if I had a big old plate of disgusting food, let's see what I got in my drawer. Have anything disgusting, but I've got some uh, some macadamia nuts. If I were to just eat this entire bag of macadamia nuts right in front of you, um, and consume it disgustingly, like really close to the camera, and also eat maybe uh, a whole pizza or a uh, nine avocados, or you've seen these things, fifty thousand calorie type meals, you would be pretty grossed out and pretty like. It's kind of like a car crash. You want to watch it and see what the heck's going to happen. That's what mukbang is. And here's eating with Boki. Eating with Boki is a woman in Korea that's eating like ungodly amounts of noodles and she eats all this stuff and she just consumes it. And it's kind of like weird to see someone so small eat all that food. Now in America, we've got a guy named Nikocado Avocado. I think that's how you say his name. I don't know. But when you Google mukbang or mukbang, you're going to come up with this guy in America. Now, this guy started his channel years ago, and he was, when he started eating it, eating the food, oh, look at this photo, good grief. Yeah, gosh. When you, yeah, for those of you that are uh, listening on podcasts, you got to go to the YouTube channel and check out this picture of this guy or just Google him. It's oddly satisfying. Oddly, Well, it's not. This guy's not very satisfying. It's disgusting. It's honestly disgusting. Um, this guy started out really small. If you know anything about Nikocado Avocado, he started out really small and it was kind of fun. He was eating. And then he got larger and larger and larger to the point where he's like that episode of The Simpsons, if you remember, where Homer like tries to gain 50, 80 pounds, 100 pounds in order to go on disability so he could work from home. Uh, he looks like that and he's gained a ton of weight. And it's really honestly very sad to see. And so it, you can kind of see where, where gluttony goes. This is epic mealtime. Um, this this photo here, for those of you who can't see it, epic mealtime 
this is their fast food lasagna. Now, I, I've got the list of what's in this fast food lasagna. Basically, these guys get together and they try to eat this massive thing. And here's what's in it. There's bacon. There's 15 Big Macs fit from McDonald's. One liter of Big Mac sauce. 15 Wendy's Baconators. 15 teen ba burgers from A&W. A layer of onion rings, a layer of cheese, and Jack Daniels meat sauce. This entire meal, if you were to eat it, would cost you 5,463 grams of fat, and it would allot you 71,488 calories. That's disgusting. Now, when most of us think of gluttony, this is what we think of. We think of an all-out gorging of some of the most calorie-dense, food, calorically-dense foods on the planet. <clears throat> so naturally, when we think about gluttony, or we hear of gluttony, we think, listen, I'm not a glutton. That's gluttony. Like, that's disgusting. Those people live-streaming their food, those people eating as much, many cheeseburgers as they can, I'm not 350 pounds. Like, I'm not a glutton, right? That's not me. Now, maybe you don't live-stream you eating gluttonous meals, and you're probably right about that. But the gluttony we most see most of the time in human nature, particularly here in the Western world, it's much more subtle. It's much more hidden. It's much more harder to see. In fact, many of us think about gluttony, we think it's funny. We think gluttony is unimportant. Or we sort of have a whatever attitude about what we eat, and we don't really care about how we eat. And say, oh, stop, who cares? There's nothing wrong with a little food, a little drink, a little dessert. I'm just enjoying my life. How are you going to deny me my freedom in Christ to eat whatever I want to eat? So if you're a Baptist in the South, and you love to eat, you love your buffets, but you also just for some reason don't drink alcohol, <laughs> this podcast is for you, okay? Because here's my point. Here's my thesis for this podcast. Gluttony is the most overlooked sin of all of the Christian faith. Gluttony is the most overlooked sin of all of the Christian faith. Just like you did with those, those pictures I showed you about the mukbang, it's minimized, it's laughed at, it's cast aside, and it's even mocked when we call it out in somebody, when we see it. But I, I would venture to tell you <clears throat> that no sin has a greater impact on the quality of one's life than gluttony. None. I'm going to go through some statistics I've shared on other podcasts. Major modern Western diseases in the United States are absolutely out of control, and we call them chronic diseases. And I'm going to keep talking about chronic disease because chronic disease is largely controllable. These are diseases we now know uh, that are now known to be significantly linked, if not outright caused, by diet and lifestyle choices. Chronic diseases are largely controllable, is my point. Things like type 2 diabetes, heart disease, hypertension, obesity, and the like. These are things that largely we have an opportunity to control by stopping our diet. But the problem is chronic disease is now a defining feature of the modern Western world. That's us, guys. And unfortunately, it is now one of our biggest exports. We're really good at giving this away here in the United States. We've got McDonald's, Burger King's, Jack in the Box, Wendy's, uh, all these different fast food places have now been exported. There's a KFC in Bangalore, India. I saw it. Super weird. 
Um, but we love giving this away. And oftentimes what you see happen, immigrants, especially particularly uh, immigrants from the Far East. So I'm from San Francisco. Um, there's plenty of Japanese and Chinese Americans uh, that are second generation um, that have moved. Um, their parents moved from there. And what's interesting is if you go to those countries, you don't see a lot of obesity. But when you see them come here, when you see them adopt American eating and our lifestyle, you see them gain weight. It's actually a really fascinating uh, thing to think about. The point is, chronic disease is now a defining feature of the modern West, and it's one of our biggest exports. Now, here's a few things. One in two Americans, I've been saying this before, one, I've said this before, one in two Americans now has a chronic disease. One in two. 50% of you listening has a chronic disease, right? I just named a few. Type 2 diabetes, heart disease, hypertension, that's high blood pressure, um, obesity, things like that, uh, Alzheimer's, dementia, chronic diseases, uh, autoimmune conditions. One in four Americans has multiple chronic diseases. One in four has multiple. So you, if you're watching, 25% of you, or if you're listening, 25% of you have multiple chronic diseases. And you don't have to be way overweight in order to experience them. More on that in a minute, okay? 91% of all prescriptions filled in the United States are for chronic disease. More than nine in 10 prescriptions filled are filled because of stuff we eat. Oh my gosh. 76% of physician visits are filled for chronic illnesses. 75%, 76%. So one or only one in four uh, visits to the physician are for something that you did not cause yourself by what you eat and how much you move. You don't even need to be a full on glutton to experience the causes of chronic disease. But if you are a glutton, the reality is far worse, right? This is a really important thing for us to understand. I say this all the time, but Chris Kresser, in his book, uh, Unconventional Medicine, calls chronic disease in the modern West a slow-motion plague, but more wide-scale. Now, there are two important reasons why you and I should care about this topic of gluttony. One, God has called you and I to steward the resources he's given us. An uncaring spirit about what or how much we eat and how much we consume is really the root of all gluttony, but it's also poor stewardship. You and I steward our bodies poorly when we don't care about what we eat. You and I are bad stewards in that regard. Two, gluttony presupposes God's faithfulness on our lives. It assumes and abuses the resources he's given us. It assumes that God's going to take care of our body. It assumes that our body doesn't matter. We're just going to run it into the ground until we get to heaven. Another bet. That's another thing. Now, Christians believe that God provides all things, including our food. And this is really much more difficult to see in countries of wealth and abundance like the United States because we have everything we need. And so when you live in uh, the United States, even especially it's easier, more easily seen in really wealthy communities like the one I live in on the east side of Seattle, um, it's hard to know God's blessing you because it kind of feels like I've gotten everything I need myself. I, I got my job. I got my, I got my job. I've got my income. My spouse maybe works or whatever. And so I got a car. I've got everything I need. I've got all the food I need. I did this. I got it myself. But when you live in a place that's much more poor, uh, you know, you go to Haiti, for instance, you're kind of relying on things 
for for the food that you get, right? Like when the Israelites were in the gar- when we're in the desert, they had to rely on God for that manna to rain from heaven, right? Moses tapped those rocks and water flowed from it. It wasn't that they just had their jobs and felt like they had it all together, right? It's easier to see in places of poverty than it is in places of abundance. But most of us in the United States, just look at the U.S. as a whole, we live in places of abundance. But we believe provision like food, shelter, and clothing come from God as a gift. He gives us all things and that he provides for us all, uh, he provides for us one day at a time as he did in the desert with the Israelites. And just like Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, right? He provides for us daily. Those resources that we get, things like food, drink, should spur us on towards thankfulness. But gluttony makes those resources about really satisfying ourselves. Gluttony makes God's provision about our pleasure rather than God's faithfulness. Gluttony makes God's provision about our pleasure more than God's faithfulness. And so we think about it from a man-centered perspective instead of a God-centered perspective. Now, you may be thinking one of two things. One, this doesn't apply to me. I am not a glutton. In which case, why are you still listening? Maybe you're interested in the subject. I would say the subtle nature of gluttony means that it absolutely applies to all of us at one point or another, if not outright in our entire lives. Second, you might be thinking, this does apply to me. What do I do? Now, like all of gluttony is one of the seven deadly sins, and like all of the seven deadly sins, God's going to provide an antidote to break free of these sins so that you and I might be able to worship Jesus in freedom and not bondage. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to tell you what gluttony is. I'm going to tell you where it hides. And then I'm going to give you the antidote. Okay. What is gluttony? Where does it hide? What's the antidote? Here's a more biblical definition of gluttony. Here's what it is. I wrote this. Gluttony is is the enjoyment of excessive eating and drinking that has been disconnected from contentment in God himself. Now, why is this a good definition to me? Well, everything we do is actually tied to our relationship with God. Anything we do that is disconnected from our relationship with God segments segments us. And so we lose sort of integrity and we can sort of feel a sense of loss and disconnect. If we disconnect our, our humanity from God, all of a sudden we believe we are over here and God is over here. Now all of a sudden we lose our relationship with God. And so... Uh, gluttony itself takes food and drink and makes it all about our consumption and all about our pleasure. And therefore, we're not uh, we're not able to worship God with our consumption of food and drink as a result. Not fully, at least. You can definitely pray to God before you eat your Big Mac or pray to God before you eat your 15 teen burgers or 15 Baconators. I'm telling you, God's not necessarily going to be listening to that prayer. Lord, thank you for 71,488 calories. My guess is God's going, what are you doing? Did you pray to me to ask whether or not you should be eating that much? Probably not, right? The point, all of when we disconnect our eating from the reality that God provides our sustenance for living, we sort of take the first step into gluttony, okay? First uh, Corinthians uh, chapter 10, verse 31 says, so whether you eat or whether you drink, Whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. You want to remain integrated, right? Don't, whether you eat or drink, just enjoy it. No, you want to do it to the glory of God. But you got to do it to the glory of God uh, as it relates to God's goodness and faithfulness. You can't just, you can't 
go to a strip club to the glory of God, right? You can't do a line of cocaine to the glory of God. You can't rob a bank to the glory of God. You can't be a glutton to the glory of God. You have to do, uh, you can do things to the glory of God that are within the realm of God's rule and responsibility that leads to our flourishing. Okay, you can't cheat on your spouse to the glory of God. You can't be a glutton or an alcoholic to the glory of God. Does that make sense? Okay. God gives us food to sustain us. And so gluttony begins with a good desire for food. So God gives us food to sustain us, to keep us, and to enjoy. And we should do both of those things. And meals are important for every part of our lives. But anytime we receive a meal, we have an opportunity to worship Jesus. Okay. He provides. We're thankful. Right? That's an important concept. The problem with Westerners is that we live in a state of abundance and we believe we have the right to food and drink. It's hard to be thankful for things you believe you're entitled to. It's hard to feel thankful for things you feel entitled to. Let's say that again. It's hard to feel thankful for things you believe you're entitled to. Americans, Westerners, Australia, Europeans, Canadians, Americans, it's hard to feel thankful for things you believe you're entitled to. You need to understand that about your food. Gluttony trickles in when we begin to pervert God's intention for our food as well. When we make a good thing into a God thing, we call that idolatry, right? We take a good thing and we pervert God's intention for it and we make it a God thing. For example, we could say food now becomes about my pleasure, not about worshiping God anymore, right? I may, be, I may begin to make eating about taste and not about worship. I may begin to eat to make eating about curse, uh, about curing my sadness and drowning my sorrows and making me happy than I do about God. So gluttony really is at its core a form of idolatry. Idolatry is when we worship some person, idea, or thing more than God, right? It's, uh, again, turning a good thing into an ultimate thing, turning a good thing into a God thing. We can use food to worship God, and we can use food to worship something else, like worshiping the food or worshiping ourselves. Uh, uh, author Ken Pierpoint, he says this, there is nothing wrong with enjoying food like any other good gift from God, but when we begin to delight in food so much that it occupies a place in your soul that only God should have, you have made a God of food. You are no longer worshiping God and seeing food as one of God's many good and perfect gifts. You're really trying to replace God with food. And I understand that might be convicting for you, that you may be in a spot, maybe you probably listen to this because you feel like you're a glutton and you feel like, you know what, I've taken food and I've made it my ultimate thing. It's the place I go for to cure my sadness and it's the place I go to celebrate. That is God's place in your heart. And you have isolated yourself and loneliness and isolation is antithetical to biblical injunction. You can't be in a relationship with God and then isolate yourself and go to something else when you feel sad, when you feel happy, when you feel lonely, when you feel hurt, when you feel broken, when you feel shamed. Okay? You have to go to God. Gluttony then is not really about the act of eating too much or something like that. It's really about our hearts. You might think gluttony is just about me eating too much or overeating. No, 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 no. That's, a, that's the symptom. Gluttony is really about your heart. Gluttony is dangerous because it's often a symptom of a failure to see God as he is for you sufficient, which is what he is. That's what gluttony is. Where does gluttony hide? Gluttony hides in a number of places. And the first place it hides is 
in this idea, like we talked about, of a carefree attitude about eating. This is where we say, listen, dude, I hear what you're saying, but food is food. It shouldn't be our focus. We shouldn't focus in too much. We shouldn't really think about what we eat, right? And then we argue against sort of like in, in this idea of carefree attitudes. We say, look at Instagram models, right? Look at bodybuilders. That's vanity. We shouldn't care about what we eat. We should only care about Jesus. It is true. We shouldn't be overly focused on our bodies. Self-infatuation is not helpful and it's simple in its own right. But guys, don't move the cheese. Cheese. This is not what we're talking about today. Today, we're not talking about vanity. We are talking about gluttony. Vanity is a, very much a sin, but we're talking about gluttony. When we don't think deeply enough about how we eat, we can actually be relying on food for comfort, to cure our sorrows, to feel happy all the time. We talked about that. And then we'll go on and we'll say verses like, like I said verses for a reason, things like, all things in moderation, all things in moderation. All things in moderation. But, of course, we have to ask the question, at what point does all things in moderation really become poor stewardship of our bodies? At what point does that happen? 1 Corinthians 6, 12 and 13 says this, All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful, Paul says. Well, all things are lawful for me, Paul says, but I will not be dominated by anything. Food is meant for stomach, and stomach meant for food. Yeah, and Paul says, God will destroy both, one and the other. Food is meant for stomach, and stomach meant for food. That's likely like a, a commonly used turn of phrase in Corinth, what Paul's talking about. The Corinthians sort of adopted the idea that whatever the body craves, it should have, right? Food is meant for stomach, stomach meant for food. Whatever the body craves, it should have. Does that sound familiar, by the way? Kind of. That's kind of America. That's kind of the West, right? Whatever the body wants. The far west, America, California, the south of the United States, Alabama, Arkansas, Texas, right? This is where we're at. This passage that I just read in 1 Corinthians 6 is using the phrase suggesting that there is some sort of distance between what you do with your body and our spirituality. Essentially, it says, whatever you like to eat, you should be able to eat. Whatever you want to feel, you have a right to feel it. Food's meant for stomach, stomach meant for food. And Paul says... Yeah, but God's going to destroy both. Or God is Lord over both. Your stomach, your food are governed by God. So the decisions you make are not the decisions for you to make however you want to do it. They're, they're, the decision you make should be governed by the Lord of the stomach and the Lord of food, who is God himself. And then Paul goes on to say this, 1 Corinthians 6, I love this passage, by the way, for ex nihilo. And people try to disconnect it. And they try to use verses about being a missionary. You know, don't fear who he who can kill the body. Fear he who can kill, but who can destroy the soul in hell. That's a verse on evangelism and missions work. Uh, where you should not fear random people who can kill your body. Uh, when you talk about Jesus, but who can kill your soul. I agree with that. But Paul says this, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. Friend, I just want to be kind to you, and maybe I'm preaching to the choir here. You can't eat whatever you want, 
the same way you can't go to the first uh, temple period of Jerusalem and graffiti all over the temple. Because the temple is where the presence of God dwells, dwells in a new covenant, in the new covenant era, which is what we're in. You, my friend, as a Christian, are a temple of the Holy Spirit, which means you should not graffiti, quote unquote, all over the walls. What I mean is you should not go get Fruit Loops and Fruity Pebbles and McDonald's French fries and eat to your heart's delight because you are purchased by the blood of Jesus and your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. This idea of it's my body, I can do what I want is not true for the Christian at all. The Spirit has made his home in us, the Father has created us in his image, and the Son has purchased us with his blood. Our bodies are not ours, they're his, which is why we need to care about what we put into them. But our bodies are inextricably linked to our spirit. They are connected. They are not separate. And this is a big idea. I've quoted this before on the podcast, but I'll quote it again. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, a medical doctor, a medical doctor, not a, not a doctor of ministry, a medical doctor and a preacher, great combination. He said this, does someone hold the view that as long as you are Christian, it does not matter what the condition of your body is? Well, you will soon be disillusioned if you believe that. There are some who's, in whose cases it's clear to me that the cause of their depression is mainly physical. On the other hand, who there are people who are more physically weak and they're more prone to attacks of spiritual discouragement and depression. But if you recognize that the physical may be partly responsible for the spiritual condition and make allowances for this, you'll be better able to deal with the spiritual issues. See the point. Your physical state makes you weaker and more prone spiritually to spiritual attacks. Your spiritual state, whether you're not resting with God, whatever, makes you more prone to physical breakdown. That's the connection because you're made in God's image and that's how he's made you. He has not made you, as the Gnostics say, physically physically in the evil, but spiritually good. Who cares about the physical? It's mostly about the spiritual. No, he's made you combined. Where else does gluttony hide? I'm going to get somebody today with this one. Drinking. Drinking. Gluttony hides in your drinking because gluttony is not just about eating. The Bible speaks frequently about drinking alcohol. And it doesn't talk about it all the time in a negative way. Jesus turns water into wine, right? The wedding at Cana, his very first miracle. Jesus turns water into wine. Many of us, though, are actually frequent gluttons in the form of drinking too much. Proverbs 23, it says this, be not among the, the drunkards or among the gluttonous eaters of meat. For the drunkard and the glutton will come to poverty and slumber will clothe them with rags. Gluttony and alcoholism, drunkards, as the Bible would say. Um, you know, when we think about, I should say, uh, most of us, when we think about drunkards, we think about like a cartoon that's like hiccuping, like Barney Barney from The Simpsons or some weird cartoon in Looney Tunes or, you know, the Bugs Bunny cartoons where they're like hiccuping and they're alcoholic. They seem like those pink elephants. You can be a glutton with a craft brew hobby. You can be a glutton who loves to sit, to go, loves to go to wineries often and has a winery membership and a wine 
uh, what are those things called in the basement? The uh, wine uh, cellars. You can be, in a, you can be a, a glutton of alcohol or an alcoholic with a wine cellar. It's not just always a hobby. Sometimes you're an alcoholic. Um, anyway, the point is that these two concepts are often lo looped together, right? The gluttony and um, alcoholism or the drunkard. They're often linked together. Turns out we're really predisposed to them and both often lead us away from full dependency on Jesus. And that's the point. So we turn to the pleasures of the world to bring comfort and healing to ourselves. I'm sure you're well aware of the addictive nature of alcohol and its dangers. So I'm not going to belabor that. I think there's probably an episode for us to talk about alcohol specifically. Some Christians believe you shouldn't drink alcohol at all. Some believe it's you're able to partake of it. No Christians believe you should be able to drink as much as you can. But you often do see Christians do that. Pastors, pastors are often guilty of drinking too much, especially around other pastors because they have an opportunity to do so. And sometimes pastors find themselves as alcoholics. And that's it's sad to say, it's not an accusational thing, but I will say you have to be careful as a ministry leader not to drink too much. One of the issues is that the amount people drink is really going up. We're actually culture drinking far more than people did in Jesus' day. And um, there's a few studies to show why that's true. Now, there's some disagreement on whether or not what I'm about to say next is true. But from the studies I've looked at, wine was fermented and consumed at far lower percentages than the percentages of alcohol we see in, let's say, our BevMo's today. We see alcohol in the 1% to 4% range. Sometimes they would get up a little higher. But the idea that we'd have 14% wine alcohol content was almost unheard of. Now, I've seen it later. You know, Some studies come out later that's produced at higher content. But the point is, we have 24-7 access to alcohol. You can go to a 7-Eleven in the middle of the night and get it. Okay? You can brew your own alcohol. You can make your own moonshine in the past, and you could and you could ferment your own wine, but it almost always was not as available as it is today. You can't go get a malt liquor in the first century from the corner store at 2 a.m. You can today. It's an addictive, slippery slope. Ephesians 5.18, friends. Do not become drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? It means it's a possible, it's impossible to be drunk and also be currently led by God. It's impossible to worship God overly, over the top, and repeatedly be a glutton and a drunkard. The moment you are being led by alcohol, you can no longer be led by God at the same time. Ephesians 5.18, do not become drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, if you're a Christian, you know, I don't know what your soteriology is. That's your salvation, but or like how you understand salvation theologically. I'm not going to say God's going to leave you if you're an alcoholic. But what I will say is that the Holy Spirit is not leading you if you're hammered. Now, the, the biggest comeback is, well, I've shared the gospel when I'm drunk. You can share the gospel on cocaine. That doesn't mean you should do it. Uh, you can share the gospel at a strip club. It doesn't mean you should go there. And guess what? God can save 
the stripper in the strip club if you use the gospel. It doesn't mean it was a good idea to go there. So just because you get drunk and share the gospel does not mean you should be drunk. Well, it lowered my courage so I could share the gospel. And there's plenty of people that don't know, don't know Jesus at the strip club. It doesn't mean you should go. This is a bad, it's, God can justify the ends and the means. It doesn't mean you, sh you should use the negative thing. It's a really bad idea to try to use that logic. It's really quite silly. Like you could be high on heroin or fentanyl and share the gospel. It doesn't mean you should do it, right? Bad idea. Whether you eat or whether you drink, do all to the glory of God. Are you doing that when you drink? Let's keep going. Where else does gluttony hide? Funny enough, it hides in the waistline because gluttony is not merely evidenced by what you look like. You can look differently as a glutton. Gluttony can look differently on some people. Some people can eat one Skittle and they gain 20 pounds. Of course, I'm being pejorative. That's kind of like my, that's my story. And some people can eat 50 tacos in one sitting and look like Kate Moss on a juice fast. Okay, that's not the point. Studies show that the risk of heart disease was nearly the same regardless of weight and appearance if the diet was poor. So you could be skinny and be genetically predisposed to having visceral fat, fat around the organs that's not subcutaneous, which subcutaneous fat is uh, fat that sits underneath the skin that looks more what you would think a fat person looks like or an overweight person looks like. It doesn't mean that you are less likely to have a heart attack. It doesn't mean you're less likely to be diabetic. It doesn't mean you're less likely to have a chronic disease. You can still be unhealthy. In fact, it's almost worse sometimes because you don't look like you're fat. And so you don't think you have a problem. There are 60 million Americans in the United States that have a, uh, that are pre-diabetic and don't know it. These are probably your people. Your health may not yet evidence body, bodily neglect either. You might not be breaking down around yourself. You might not be overweight, but it may come years down the road. But what you look like in the mirror is not necessarily evidence of good stewardship. Just look at the people using gear, a.k.a. steroids. And maybe they're just starting and they don't look like a genetic freak yet. And all of a sudden you're like, yeah, they look pretty good. Are they healthy? By inject, injecting uh, exogenous, um, chemically altered hormones into their body? No. So the mirror isn't a good, isn't good evidence that you're doing a, the right thing with your body. It usually is, but it's not for sure. Now, I'm not suggesting anyone is a glutton if they don't eat perfect. That's not what I'm talking about. So if you eat a little bit of dessert here and there, you have a cocktail or whatever, I don't know what your theological perspective is on alcohol. My typical um, recommendation is to not drink it. Alcohol is not good for you in any way, shape, or form. There are some that are worse for you than others. I'm not suggesting that if anyone is a glutton or a drunkard, if they don't eat or drink perfect, not at all. What I am suggesting is that we look carefully at our lives and assess where the hidden idols are in our lives. They probably can hide in your waistline. Apostle Paul says in 1 Timothy 4, 16, watch your life and your doctrine closely. Watch your life and your doctrine closely. Don't just watch your doctrine, watch your life. What does your life look like? What are the behaviors you're not seeing? Guys, they call them blind spots because you can't see them. Okay? 
Ask people around you. Get some accountability in your life. Let other people speak into your lives before you start making sweeping judgments about how well you're doing in this area. Okay, that's gluttony. That's where it hides. Let's talk about the antidote. Here's the antidote to gluttony. The antidote to gluttony is self-control through contentment. Now, some may hear self-control and think, geez, pastor, geez, Eddie, geez, ex nihilo. The answer, the, the antidote to gluttony is just to stop being a glutton. Geez, I appreciate that. Thanks for the help. I didn't know that. But for some, for something like gluttony, this is really one of the major factors. I think we all know we need more self-control. Proverbs 25, 28 says, a man without self-control is like a city broken into and left without walls. Uh, back in the, uh, back in the Israelite times, if you were a large city and you did not have a city wall, you were vulnerable to military attack, right? America is blessed. I would say blessed with geograph geographical by hitting the geographical jackpot. It is all the way out into the middle of nowhere. There are no threatening countries. The mountain ranges, it's coastal line. All is all protects it. It's a huge win. And you can't just invade north from Canada because of the mountains and because of how cold it is. It's very difficult, right? We're blessed. A man, a city, broken down into without walls is vulnerable to attack, and that's somebody without self-control. Some of us have a men's self-control, and some of us have none. While you can, by the way, I will say, on your own, increase your self-control, I do want to give you a little bit of a heads up. According to the American Psychological Association and many others, many other studies, they've recently put out several studies on what self-control is and what they found is that self-control or elbow grease is a finite resource. That your ability to be self-controlled on your own will in fact fade. White knuckling your faith, white knuckling trying not to be tied to eat too much will wear you out and you'll quit. So how do you get it? How do you get more self-control? Is it just from white-knuckling your life? No. You and I need to find another source that does not come from us. We need it, and as they say in the supplement community, an exogenous source of the self-control and willpower. Where do we get it? We get self-control through contentment in Jesus Christ. Listen to the Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter 4, verse 11 through 13. He says, not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound in every and in any circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need, that I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Paul is saying that no matter what, no matter what circumstance he found himself in, no matter what circumstance he found himself in, because Christ has filled him with the Holy Spirit and empowered him, he has gained supernatural contentedness in any situation. Then self-control follows. Isn't that beautiful? Self-control follows. It is a fruit of the Spirit that is naturally produced when a person is rooted contently in Jesus. So, if gluttony is the enjoyment of food that has been disconnected from contentment in God, 
what happens if we plug back in, right? What happens if we plug back in? That's the question we need to be asking. Jesus is this massive gift. And if we look at him, we will see not just the gift, but the gift giver. Food and drink are these wonderful gifts we've been given by God. But if we look past the gift, towards the gift giver, we can experience ultimate contentment, which leads to a greater self-control because we're not so concerned with the gifts when we know that the gift giver, we don't hug the gift when we get the gift. We hug the gift giver. That way, we can enjoy the gifts instead of relying on the gifts if we understand the gift giver. And yes, Christ is this massive gift. But if we look up, we will see not only the gift, but our Father, the gift giver, and he is our delight. Not, not just food, he is our delight. Enjoy him, enjoy the gifts that we've been given, not just rely on them. This is wonderful. I'll end with this. <clears throat> Paul learned contentment through a satisfaction that he finds in God himself. Paul says this in Philippians chapter three, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus, my Lord. I have, for, the, for his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as garbage or rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. When we know Jesus, everything else becomes not as important. When we know Jesus, the food we eat, who cares, right? Now, once we know Jesus and we're content in him, then we can enjoy food and drink in the proper perspective. Jesus becomes the bread of life and he becomes our proper food. So we're satisfied in him. Now, if you want that today, whether or not you're a Christian, you can have that, but you need to know Jesus. And when you become, Je when you know Jesus, and then you become a Christian, then all of a sudden you plug back into your source of contentment and then you experience joy and you can enjoy food with the proper perspective. All right, that is the gluttony episode. Hey, thanks you so much, you guys, for joining me. If you're on YouTube, will you do me a favor? Will you like, will you subscribe to this channel? That helps me grow. And if you are on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts or Spotify, please leave a review and definitely follow this podcast for future episodes. I will see you guys on the next one.